Welcome to the Bridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message from our senior pastor, Neil Haney. To access other resources or to find out more information about our church, visit thebridgespringfield.com or find us on social media at The Bridge Springfield. So since Dennis is gone, I decided that I would misbehave and preach on something in completely different than the series that we're in right now. And, uh, and so honestly, uh, this, this sermon this morning kind of came to me uh, kind of in a, in a weird way, and I'll explain in just a moment. But I did want to tell this one story. I, I was with someone this week, and uh, they, said, they said, Neil, I, I decided that I would try to, um, I'd never done it before, I decided I'd try to donate blood. And uh, I said, really? And they said, yeah, but it, it, he said, I'm not going to do it again. It didn't, it didn't go very well. I was like, well, what happened? He said, well, they just ask a bunch of stupid questions like, you know, where did you get the blood? Whose blood was it? Why did you bring it in a bucket? You know, those kind of things. <laughs> so Dennis isn't here this morning. I'm not saying that was him, but that is kind of an eerie story, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Sorry, I just had to do that. For those of you who didn't get that was a joke, okay? That Dennis didn't do that. Nobody did. I'm not saying I'm lying. I'm just saying it was a joke. So anyway, back to my sermon. That's why I'm up here, right? Preaching, yeah. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was praying in this very room, and um, I tried to allow the Lord to, I know I talk a lot, you know, but, but uh, I'll, I'll let him speak some too. And as I was praying, the Lord, I was, I was really kind of unburdening my heart about something. I was like, Lord, you know, we just, you know, he says, cast your cares upon me for I care for you. And, and so I was doing that. I was, I was just really, like I said, sharing a burden. And um, I was having a hard time trusting him with that. Do you ever experience that where something's so big, so heavy, so whatever, that you're just like, Lord, I'm, I'm really hoping that you're listening. And uh, so anyway, the Lord um, made a statement to me that it, it seemed very simplistic at the time, but I... I've been chewing on it ever since, like, and it and it's it's been kind of taking root in my heart, and so I did some word studies and and, and so forth, and so what I'm sharing with you this morning is kind of a result of what the Lord said to me that morning in prayer. He said this, basically, he said this: Neil, faith is in something, but trust is in someone, and he simply said this: Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And I was like, yeah, I, I really do. So he said, so you can just give this to me and I'll take care of it. I was like, okay, all right. But I really, I really started thinking about those words. And um, I want to explain the difference between tr- uh, faith and trust. So my, the title of my message this morning is From Faith to Trust. And I want to say this very quickly. Faith is just as important as trust. It's just as important. And so I'm not trying to... To really um, say that that we've got to move from from faith to trust ourselves, you know, like like if you just have faith but you don't really trust the Lord, then there's something wrong with you. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, <clears throat> what I am saying is that we start out with the Lord with faith, but as we move through our lives, <clears throat> and the Lord is faithful 
over and over and over again, we really should be moving from simple childlike faith in what he's done for us into complete and total trust in who he is. Does that make sense? And that's his job to take us there. It's not your job to, to, um, to move yourself into a, rela- to a relationship with the Lord where you trust him completely. It really is his job to show his faithfulness to the point that you're like, you know what, I can trust you in, in, with everything in my life. There are a number of biblical characters that, that are exam- examples of that. Um, four that come to mind right off the bat, and I'm probably going to talk about a couple of these uh, this morning. Abraham, Joseph, David, and Peter. Um, God moved them from a place of, of simple, childlike faith to total and complete trust. And um, that's what God wants to do with every one of us. He wants us to move, wants to move us as he is faithful and as he proves trustworthy. He wants us to come to a place in our lives where we're pretty much carefree. We're pretty much able to trust him with everything in our lives. But faith is super important. And faith is where we start out in our walk with the Lord. There's a scripture in um, Hebrews uh, 11 that is the only place in, that I'm aware of in Scripture that faith is kind of defined. And it goes like this, and I think we have this um, in the ESV. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I want you to notice a couple of things, um, assurance and conviction. These words mean to be, uh, to be certain of, to be... Uh, sure of, to be convinced of, and so, but I also want to point out twice it says of things, of things. Do you see what I'm saying there? The Lord said faith is in something, trust is in someone. And so, fill in the blank there, faith is the assurance of God's promises. Faith is the, the conviction that his promises are true, that the, the word of God, the Bible is true, that whatever this book says, we can believe in, we can put our trust in and our faith in. So in the 365 times where it says, do not worry, do not fret, do not be anxious, do not, you know, um, you know d- don't worry about stuff, don't, don't, don't have... No, don't be loaded down with, with care and concern. He says that because we can trust him. But the promise is, do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, um, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that, that surpasses understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The promise is that if you, if you can't, you know, if you are not anxious, but you pray, then I'll give you peace. And we put, our, we put our faith in that. So um, faith is super important. Faith is where we connect with the Lord. Uh, I told a story uh, two weeks ago when I was doing communion. Dennis was preaching, and so I led communion. And uh, we had the little hourglass cups with on the, on the top is the bread and you flip it and then you have the you have the the, the juice in, in the other end and I took out that 
top wa- the, the, the wafer, little round wafer. And uh, mom used to take me to church. We were in the Catholic church until I was in sixth grade. And she had gone to talk to the priest, and he gave me a little wafer. He didn't have any candy or anything like that. So he gave me a consecrated, uh, an unconsecrated wafer. And I, I took that, and I put it in my mouth, and I was going to see if I could you know, make it all the way home before it dissolved. Well, we lived a half hour away, so you know, that thing dissolves in like 30 seconds. But I was particularly quiet, <laughs> and my mom turned to me and said, why are you so quiet? And so I stuck my tongue out, showed her the wafer on my tongue, and she said, do you know what that is? And I, I you know, she said, that represents Jesus' body. He died for you. He died for your sins. And because, because he died for your sins, uh, you know, you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And for some reason, I just believe that. I was convinced that what she said was right. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I put my faith in him. I believe that he died for me. And it settled the issue for me. And I don't ever remember walking an aisle, saying a prayer, doing anything that connected me any more with the Lord than just simple childlike faith that he died for my sins. And, you know, it's really interesting that um, in a couple of places I want to I refer to here about this simple faith. By the way, the, the Greek word for this faith is the word pistis. And um, it means to be convinced of, to, to, um, uh, to be sure of, to be certain of. And um, the word that is the Hebrew equivalent to that word of faith, the word faith, in the Old Testament is the word aman, from which we get our word amen. So if we agree with something, if we believe something, we say, yeah, amen, I believe that, I agree with you. Um, in, in Amman, one of the first places that we see this word is when God tells Abraham, who is the father of all the Jews, uh, he's, he's an old man and he's, he's childless. His, his wife uh, is barren and he uh, can't seem to have a child. And so um, the Lord says to him at one point in, in, in Genesis 15, he says, I want you to walk outside. I want you to look up in the stars of the heaven. And if you can count all those stars, and, you know, when there's no light pollution, the sky is just, you, know, you can see the Milky Way. And it, it just looks like there's endless stars. And he says, if you can count the stars, you can count your descendants. And Abraham says, God, I don't have a son. And he says, I'm going to give you a son. And it says that Abraham believed God. The word is amen there. It, he amend God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. So his simple faith in a promise of God led to his being righteous before God. It's interesting that in the New Covenant, um, this is what it says in, in Romans chapter 3, and I want, I want us to look at that. I believe we have this passage. It's beginning with verse 20, if you can find Romans 3.20. Let's go to Romans 3.20. So it says this. So Paul has just said in the book of Romans that no one was ever able to keep the Jewish law and be righteous. Everyone was a lawbreaker. And he says this to the Roman church. that The Roman church was made up of, of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And he said, you Gentile believers are lawless and you Jewish believers are lawbreakers. And the only way you can be righteous is through faith in Christ. 
And so he says this, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Go ahead in the next slide. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Go ahead, next slide. This righteousness is given through faith. That's what I'm talking about. That simple belief in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Go ahead to verse 24. We are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It's our faith that connects us with Christ. It's our faith that we put in, in what God is. What, so, so sin, you know, Adam and Eve, all the way on down through all the generations, people have sinned and separated themselves from God because of their sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down here and said, and, and he was the only perfect man that ever lived. He was fully God and fully man, and he, at, at a certain point, took all of our sins and all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our wrongness, and he wrapped it up in himself, and he went to the cross and died in our place. This morning, what we're celebrating in baptism, because it's this funny little dunking process that we do. What this represents is when, when, when those folks stand in that water and then we, uh, they'll sit down and then we'll lay them back and then we'll bring them back up. It represents the fact that in Christ, we have been taken into him, we've been buried with him, died with him, buried with him, and raised with him to live a new, new life in the spirit. And that also represents washing, cleansing. Because the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross has cleansed us from all sin. And if you put your simple faith in it, yeah, that's the gospel of grace right there. If you put your faith in him and your faith in that, then your sins are washed away forever. The old covenant was keep the law and you'll be righteous. The old covenant didn't work. The old covenant, by the way, wasn't God's idea. He wanted a relationship with his people. And the, the people of Israel said, we're scared of God. Just give us the rules. We'll keep the rules and everything will be great. So he says, oh, you want rules. I want a relationship. But if you want rules, here they are. All 750 of them or whatever, however many there were. Keep all those and you'll be righteous. They couldn't pull it off. They, bro- they were, they were law- lawbreakers and they couldn't pull it off. And so Jesus comes, and he lives the perfect life. He keeps all the rules for us. And then he switches places with us because it says the wages of sin is death, and he pays our penalty for breaking the law. Yeah, yeah, man. He pays our penalty. And it says in Jeremiah 33, 33 um, or 30, I'm sorry, 31, 31, Jeremiah says um, he's prophesying about the new covenant. The old covenant was the law. He says this, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And he says, through the Holy Spirit, I will put my law on their minds and in their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And listen to this, and their sins and their lawless deeds 
their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Yeah. So the God who can't, who knows everything, doesn't know about your sins. Because Jesus washed them away with his blood. Your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. If you're carrying guilt around, that's on you. Because God's, God's not putting that on you. Don't do that. Don't let the enemy accuse you. There's a, there's a scripture in, uh, in Zechariah that talks about how, how Satan stood before God and accused um, this man named Joshua. Accused him of, of sins. And, and the Lord says, I rebuke you. Be silent. And, and uh, he, in, a, in, symbol, in, in the symbol of what we're celebrating this morning... He takes off these filthy clothes off of this man Joshua and puts on new garments. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's taken off the filthy rags of our sin and given us new garments of righteousness. And righteousness is a gift. I want to read this again um, in verse 24. We are justified, that means made right before God, freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. And it's not up here, but I'm just going to read on. This is too good. God presented Christ as a sacrifice through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Okay, there it is again. To be received by faith. And we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. There is no one, there's only one God who will justify everyone by faith. And it says again, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he's our example. We are made righteous by faith. We stay righteous by faith. And that's wonderful. Faith is a wonderful thing. And in fact, it says, and I have the scripture up there, but in, in, uh, uh, later on in, in Hebrews 11, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then a little bit later on, it says that Jesus is the, is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, faith is wonderful. Without it, we can't please God because we have to put faith in Jesus. And then once we do, that's all we have to do to please God is to put our faith in Christ. And then he takes care of everything else. Isn't that awesome? But that's only part of the story. God wants to move us from faith to trust. He wants, he wants to move us along this line of faith to trust. Now, with Abraham, he said, you know, I'm going to give you a son. And through that son will come all your descendants. And Abraham believed God. It was created him as righteousness. And then Abraham screwed up and screwed up and screwed up. Like he kept doing things that were stupid. Um, if you read his story, he, he made a lot of mistakes. But after his son was finally born 25 years later, uh, it says that his faith had grown to the point that when his son was a teenager and God said to him, now take your son up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me, he had so much trust in God that he was willing to do that. And I want to I want to read in in Romans 4 about Abraham, beginning with verse 18. This is about the son that would be born. It says, 
Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said of him, or said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded. That's the trust part, see. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do that which he promised. And then when it came time when God said, take him up and sacrifice him to me, he wasn't going to make Abraham kill his son, but he just wanted to test his, his trust. And when, when Abraham you know, got up early the next morning, took his son, the wood, the, the fire, the knife, and went up on the hill, the mountain that he showed him to sacrifice him. He built an altar, put the wood on the altar, put his, bound his son, put him on the altar, raised the knife without hesitation. And God stopped him and said, now I know that you, that you worship me. Now I know that I'm number one in your heart. Now I know, Abraham, that you fully trust me. And now I'm going to do what I promised. And he made his descendants as numerous as the stars in the, in the heavens. How many Nobel Prize winners have come from Abraham's offspring? I mean, it's incredible. His descendants, they only make up like 2% of the population. They're, they're the most successful people in the world. <laughs> Steven Spielberg, there's an example. Albert Einstein. You know, I mean, you can name on and on and on, just descendants of Abraham. Incredible people. But Abraham learned to trust God. There's a, there's a scripture that I love in, um, in uh, Proverbs chapter, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And it says this, and this is up here too. It says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. There's that word trust. Let me explain what that word means. Uh, it's not the word for faith, which is aman. It is the word batah, which means bold confidence in, feeling totally secure in, fully relying upon, totally unconcerned about anything. That's how much trust I have in God, or that's how much trust he wants us to have in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. American Christians are really good at that, figuring stuff out. We're going to help God out, you know. Yeah. I'm, I need money. I'll just open another credit card account. You know, I'll just, I'll just go to the bank and borrow some more money or whatever. You know, we just, we lean on our own. In all your ways, seek to know God, and he will direct your, he'll, he'll make your path straight. He did that for Abraham. There's a, I'm going to just, man, I wish, I wish I could share everything that's on my heart this morning, but I, I see I only have about 12 minutes, so, and we got a lot of baptisms to do. Last week I shared about Peter and contrasted Peter and, and uh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus did not follow Jesus, even though he was the teacher in Israel. But it was this fisherman that got to preach at Pentecost and 3,000 people came to Christ. Not the teacher in Israel, not Nicodemus. But because Peter was willing to lay down his nets and, and go after Jesus, regardless of how difficult it was, then he is the one that preaches at Pentecost and 3,000 people come to Christ. Peter was, he's everyone's favorite disciple because he's like us. 
you know, John was the disciple that Jesus loved, according to him. And, you know, he was kind of a goody two-shoes. I mean, he was great, but, but we don't relate to him very much. But we relate to Peter because Peter was always messing up. You know, he was always standing up when he should have been sitting down and sitting down when he should have been standing up. And he was always popping off at the mouth, you know. And all the rest of these morons will leave you, Jesus, but I'll never desert you. And Jesus is like, well, uh, okay, I'm glad you feel that way, but um, in less than 12 hours you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. Um, but he was, you know, he had a good heart, um, but, but really messed up a lot. But it never stopped him from, from just pursuing Jesus. He just, he just kept hanging in there. You know, that's what this Christian life is really about, just hanging in there and watching the faithfulness of God. Okay, so... Peter meets Jesus, and, you know, there's an early story about uh, when, when Peter has fished all night, he's exhausted, he and Andrew are exhausted, and James and John are exhausted, and they're fishing partners, you know, in this business they have. They fished all night, they've caught nothing. Jesus borrows Peter's boat, push out from the shore, because there's so many people that, you know, they're pushing Jesus into the water, so he needs a little distance to be able to talk. And, um, and so after he gets through preaching... He turns to Peter and says, push out in the deep and let down your net. And Peter's like, you're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman, I don't think you're supposed to be giving me advice on how to fish, but because you just preached such a good sermon, I guess I'll do it. So anyway, so he pushes out in the deep, he lets down his net, I don't think he expected anything to happen, and all of a sudden, there's more fish than he can pull into the net. He's yelling for James and John, you know, Andrew, he and Andrew are... The boat's sinking, you know. And at one point it says that he falls at Jesus' knees. It's interesting he says his knees instead of his feet. You know why he falls at his knees? Because the boat's full of fish. He can't get that low, okay? So he falls at Jesus' knees and fish are flapping around. And, and he's like, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And, and Jesus says, look, get up. Get off the fish. Get up. You're starting to smell. And he's like, Let's leave these fish here. They're kind of smelly. And, and follow me, and I'll make you fisher, fishers of men. And they left their nets and left. they took off. They, they started following Jesus. Fast forward a little bit. Um, Jesus comes to Peter's home church in Capernaum, and he goes to the synagogue, and he casts out some demons, and he heals a woman that's you know bent over and can't straighten up. And he, like I said, he casts out some demons, and Peter at, he invites him home for chicken and you know mashed potatoes Jesus goes home with Peter Peter uh, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever and then at sundown everyone brought the sick and the infirmed and the demon possessed to Peter's doorsteps and Jesus it says that he healed and delivered every one of them every single one of them were healed and delivered from demons and Peter's taking note of this you know he's like writing down note to self he's amazing so yeah so Fast forward a little bit more, uh, Peter's, or Jesus is preaching very near Capernaum when 5,000 men and a bunch of their, you know, their wives and their children show up. We, we know that there's somewhere between probably 20 to 35, 40,000 people in that crowd because they only counted men at that time. And you know, Jewish people had a lot of kids, so you know, their wives were there, the kids were there. And so there were 5,000 men, but there were a lot more people. And um, at the end of the day, you know, Peter's like, Jesus, we need to send these folks home to get some food because uh, they're getting hungry. And he said, you feed them. You give them something to eat. 
And uh, he said, well, we don't have any. I mean, it'd take, it would take a lot of money to feed these people. He said, well, what do you have? Well, we got a kid here with a fish sandwich. He said, that'll do. That'll do. Give me the fish, the bread. He takes it, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to, to his disciples and said, now go feed these folks. And they collected 12 baskets left of leftovers, you know, for the next day when they're, you know, need a snack or whatever. But anyway, they, they, they uh, you know, Peter again, he's just like, man, this is great. This is amazing. A few days later, they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and a storm comes up, the squall. It's just a squall is just a storm that comes out of nowhere. And it's, they're rocking and rolling. The waves are, you know, coming over the boat. The wind is about to blow the boat over. And Jesus is asleep, of all things. I, I don't understand how you sleep through that. I mean, I could sleep through a thunderstorm, but the wind and the waves, you know, that's a different story. And Peter's freaking out. He's like, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care? We're about to drown. And Jesus gets up, stretches, yawns, uh, says, you know, peace be still. And everything just stops. And Peter turns to Andrew and says, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Fast forward a little further. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on Mount Tabor. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's transfigured before them. And is he, he, what he carried on the inside suddenly becomes apparent. And his, the inner God in him begins to shine through his skin and his clothes. And his faith becomes like the sun. They can't even look at him. And, of course, Peter is the one who speaks up, and he's like, I'm going to build three tents here because Elijah and um, Moses showed up. And so he's going to, you know, start a construction project. And, you know, again, it's like, come on, Peter, what's up with it? So, I mean, God the Father actually had to rebuke Peter at that point. He says, you know, this is my son. Listen to him. And, uh, you know, they're, they, the first time anybody was ever slain in the spirit. But anyway, they, they wake up, and it's just Jesus, you know, and he looks normal. He looks the same. And Peter's like, a few minutes, a few seconds ago, I remember he was, like, glowing and stuff. Like, Wow. But you see what's happening here, all along, Jesus is, is showing Peter who he is. And, you know, there comes a point where Jesus says, who do, who do people say that I am? Moses, Elijah, you know, John the Baptist, come back from the dead. But who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. That's who you are. And that's, Jesus said, you're right. You're right, and I'm going to be crucified, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And Peter's like, that's not what I learned in Sunday school. <laughs> and, and he says, Jesus, you're wrong. Now, when you tell the Lord he's wrong, there's something wrong, so don't do that. And, of course, Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan, and that's kind of an insult, I guess. But anyway, hurt his feelings, but he got over it. But anyway, you know, but then there's this little thing of the resurrection, you know. I mean, well, first of all, he raises Lazarus from the dead. You know, Jesus hears that Lazarus, his friend, is sick and waits three days before he goes to heal him. And so he's been in the grave four days. And Jesus says, roll the stone away. And he says that, you know, the, even his sisters are protesting. It, there'll be a, a bad odor. He's like, just roll the stone away. I'm gonna, I got this. You know, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walks out with his grave clothes. He's like a first zombie movie, you know. But, 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 you know, Jesus is doing these amazing things. And then... He dies. He's crucified. And, of course, Peter freaks out, and he's hiding. He's hiding from the Jews. He's afraid that someone's going to identify him as being one of, of Jesus' disciples. 
So he and all the disciples, they're hiding behind closed doors, terrified. And then Jesus had told them, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, first of all, Peter, strengthen your brothers when you regain your faith. And then he tells him, after the resurrection, he says, um, you know, because Peter is like incredulous. He, he doesn't believe this is going to happen. And then Jesus shows up on the shores of, of Galilee, I mean, of, of, of the uh, Sea of Galilee again. And once again, he says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And uh, this is the second time that Jesus has done this kind of thing. And then Peter recognizes him and says, it's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat, starts running towards the shore. And they have this incredible encounter, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. And he's talking about the sheep of Israel. He basically appointed Peter to be the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, to lead that church. And, of course, it's Peter who stands up on the day of Pentecost, preaches 3,000 people come to Christ. A few days later, on the steps of the temple, he heals a man born crippled, been crippled all his life, and on the steps of the temple reaches over and says, I don't have any gold or silver. He's a beggar. He says, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. He pulls him up on his feet, and then these, this crowd comes running, and he preaches, and five more thousand people come to Christ, and they get arrested. They get taken before the same court that put Jesus on the cross. Instead of hiding from these people this time, he, he and John are standing before them, and they say to them, if you don't stop talking about this Jesus, we're going to put you to death. He's no longer a coward. He stands before them and he says, do what you need to do, but there's no other name in heaven and on earth by which men may be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need him too. You put him on the cross, you need him too. You need his salvation too. And so they, they had him scourged. They... they they whipped him and, and John, and they went away rejoicing that they had the honor of suffering for Jesus. Now, that is trust. <laughs> that is trust. And that is, you know, Jesus takes us on this journey. And, and I'll just tell you quickly about myself. I can relate to Peter and, and Abraham so much because I'm going to tell you I've been an absolutely perfect human being for the last 36 years. If you believe that, i got some land down in Florida I want to sell you. So. It's called the Everglades. <clears throat> um, in 2012, I got in touch with the fact that I had really not lived the life that I thought I should live. Like, like I, I was always trying. I was always performing for the Lord. I was always trying to do better and be better and, you know, have my devotions right. And, you know, somebody would write a book and I'd read the book and, oh, I need to do this and I need to do that. And there came a point where I felt like everything was starting to fall apart. I reached the point where the, the, the church was starting to shrink. I reached the point where my kids were becoming teenagers, and I didn't know what to do with them. I, I, I thought I was failing as a, as a parent. I didn't realize that teenagers are just weird. So, yeah, I'm talking to you people right here. You're weird. You'll be okay in a, about five years, but you, you, right now you're weird. Anyway, I'm, kid, I'm kidding. I love these guys. I love these guys. I like picking on them. But anyway, um, I, was, I was convinced I was a total failure. Oh, I am out of time, aren't I? Um, 
I was convinced I was a total failure. And in 2012, in, in January 2012, I started having anxiety attacks. By midsummer, I was having multiple anxiety attacks a day. Uh, I, I, I just free fell into depression in August. Uh, and by the first week of December of 2012, I was in full-blown like meltdown mode. I was told by the, the psychiatrist there that I'd had a nervous breakdown. I didn't know what that was, but I'd always heard of it. And my parents said, so-and-so had a nervous breakdown. And, you know, I always thought that was horrible. And now I was, I was it. You know, I was the person with a nervous breakdown. And, um, and I thought I was losing everything. I thought I was losing my family, my marriage. I, I, you know, we, like, like the, the elders said, you know, you had to take six months off without pay and, you know, work another job. It just, you know, we need you to get away from here and recover. And so I ended up working in a, a factory, a, a, a plant in a maintenance department, a painting and replacing light fixtures. And I was making half of what I was in my pastor job. And I, I quickly ran out of money. And a relative that hadn't spoken to us in 10 years sent us a check for $10,000 in, in April of, of that year, of 2013. I, so I started this job in January. I was suicidal in, in December and uh, ended up in a mental hospital. And the Lord met me there and began to put me back together. But, but I had to take six months off. I got a $10,000 check from a relative that hadn't spoken to us in 10 years. I mean, purposely not spoken to us. Was mad at us. And found out we were in need and sent us a check. And then a friend from Nashville visited and gave us another 7000 right before I came back to work. And so the Lord provided $17,000 out of the blue. I never lost anything. I didn't lose my kids. I didn't lose my marriage. I didn't lose my home. I didn't lose my job. I never thought I would come back here and pastor this church again. And yet the Lord brought me back and by, yeah. yeah. I'm very thankful for that because uh, I've never heard of that happening. And I've had pastors say I've never heard of that happening. If you have a, if you have a meltdown and, you know, you end up in a mental hospital, you may pastor again, but it won't be in the church you've left. <laughs> So anyway, my point is this. I have watched God be faithful over and over and over again and trustworthy over and over and over again. Yeah. And so this morning, I just want to say that Abraham and Peter, Joseph and David, uh, you know, have seen, you know, they saw the faithfulness of God and, and that he is a faithful God and he is trustworthy. And so we can trust in the Lord with all our hearts. We don't have to lean on our own understanding. I had no idea how I was going to survive 2012, but God did. And all our ways, just, we're just to seek to know Him. And He'll direct our steps. And He'll lead us along that path from faith to trust. And that's where He's leading all of us. So if you're in the middle of some crisis right now, take heart. Because God is teaching you to trust Him. He will be faithful. He will be trustworthy. You will get through this because God takes care of his people. And he's wanting to teach you to trust him. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you received a fresh revelation of the gospel of grace and that you experience the goodness of God in your everyday life. For more content like this or to stream our services live, visit thebridgespringfield.com. Have an awesome week.